Welcome to the Business of Psychology podcast, the show that helps you to reach more people, help more people, and build the life you want to live by doing more than therapy. Today I'm recording a special episode as part of my Business Planning Foundation series. Now, to be honest, I did think twice about recording this episode this week, because right now we're right at the heart of the COVID-19 crisis, and many of you will be sitting at home and thinking, well, what's the point in planning a business now? Because the whole world is on its head and everything might change by the time I finish writing my plan. And I totally get that. A lot of you will already know, if you're in the Do More Than Therapy community, that my business has been more than turned on its head by this crisis. So as a forces wife, frequently things change rapidly in my family circumstances. And unfortunately, this time, that has meant that my husband has gone away at short notice. I'm very proud of the job that he's doing, but it's left me with no childcare. And no childcare means no clinical work. So my private practice, all of my clinical work has had to has had to stop. Thankfully, I do have some other aspects to my business. Um, I do do some stuff other than therapy, and that's kind of what's keeping me ticking along morally and financially at the moment. So I really believe in this message that therapy can't be everything that we do. Because apart from anything else, there are times in life when we can't do therapy. Um, So it's been really important for me psychologically um, and also financially to get me through this, that there are other aspects to my business. But today, I do actually want to focus on how to get money into your business. And actually, we all know that the quickest way of doing that is therapy work. If you have the kind of skills that we have, therapy is not that difficult to get work-wise. And so I do recommend when you're starting out that getting enough therapy clients into your business so that you've got enough money to be comfortable enough to sit back and think about the other stuff is really important. So today we're going to be talking about how to make that happen, how to get those first few clients, and then how to plan your finances in such a way that you've got the freedom in your business to follow your passion, follow your mission, and do what you need to do for your family life too. So one of the first myths that we need to break down if we're going to be successful in private practice is this idea that if we build it, they will come. Sadly, I don't even know what movie that's from, um, but sadly, it really isn't true. And you do need to market your private practice in order to get clients. Thankfully, as I said, the therapy side of it isn't that difficult to market if you know where to look. Interventions other than therapy, so like books and workshops, events, etc., they do require a lot more audience building and therefore marketing knowledge, but it's very much worth it. And we're going to talk a lot about how to do that in this podcast. But it's likely that at the start of your private practice journey, most of your income is going to come from therapy. So let's dig into how to get therapy referrals. So there are a lot of referral sources for psychology private practices. I'm going to start with the obvious. So we've got Google search. 
In my experience, people do Google for it when they're looking for a therapist. So getting to grips with search engine optimization, which means making your website easy to find via Google and paid advertising on Google is an investment worth making, in my opinion. So search engine optimization is basically doing things that help get your website seen by the people that need your help. It is a bit of an art. It's one worth mastering, in my opinion, um, as referrals that come through your website tend to be a really good fit for your kind of work because they've already got to know you a little bit through your content. And Google actually provide really good advice on how to rank well in Google. It's almost like they want good content to be found. So here are the big hitters. Here are the things that I have found have made the most difference um, to my work. Getting other people to link to your website. This is why getting press coverage is worth it. It gives your website more domain authority, which is basically a trustworthiness score that Google uses to decide where to put you in search results. Secondly, use the phrases that potential clients will be searching for in your headings and blog posts. So in this podcast, I'm trying to rank for psychology private practice. So it's in most of the headings that I'll use when I put this onto the website. You can use tools like Keyword Finder or Answer the Public to see what people search for. But to be honest, common sense is pretty helpful here. If you provide a local face-to-face service, then having something in your titles like Maidstone Clinical Psychologist is really sensible because people are really likely to search for psychologist in Maidstone or Maidstone Psychologist. At the moment, we're all in the online space. So it could be tempting to put something like online therapist in all of your headings. It's worth looking at the tools um, at this moment in time because it may be that the term, say, online therapist is really, really popular. And that can actually be a really bad thing because if if it's a really, really popular term, then you're not going to get anywhere near the top of the search results and there's actually no point trying to rank for it. So it might be better to look for something like online clinical psychologist which tends to be much less popular because then the people that do search for that will see you. So so long as there's some people searching for it it's sometimes better to go for a slightly less popular uh, term. But again Google provide a lot of advice about all of that so I recommend you to have a look there because it does change quite a lot. Third, it's important to publish regular content or update the content on your website regularly. So a blog is really helpful, a podcast is really helpful because it just enables Google to see that the website is alive, it's kicking, it's being updated with stuff that people might find interesting and that makes them want to put it further at the top of of search. The fourth piece of advice is to keep it simple. Google can't really make sense of complicated navigations. So you want to keep your client experience at the forefront of your mind when you create your website, and that will help it to get found. So I find it really helpful to imagine a very anxious person landing on my homepage. In a really over-aroused state, we're not very good at concentrating and we need things to be really clear. So build your site with that person in mind and Google will reward you. All the other stuff to do with search engine optimization is too technical for me. So if you're really serious about it, you can outsource it. It tends to be pretty expensive, 
but there are people on LinkedIn who tell me that they're amazing at it. I've not done that. I've just applied these simple principles and it, it has worked really well for me. Um, before I switched websites, when I was still over on mindbodyandbaby.net, I was getting quite good traffic. It took me a long time of tweaking all of this search engine optimization stuff to, to get there. Um, and to be honest, it was tumbleweed for the first year. Um, but I kind of felt I cracked it. Now I've moved over to drrosie.co.uk and I have to start again from scratch. Um, but like I said, if you're armed with the right information from the beginning, you can build your website so that Google likes it from the very start. Another really good source of therapy work when you're just setting up is referrals from people that you've worked with in the past. Colleagues, previous clients, it's a really great source if you're setting up in a place where you have built a decent network. And I would just say, don't let your imposter syndrome or this kind of inbuilt shame we have about private practice stop you from tapping into that network that you've got. Because there are people out there that need your help. And I mean, I didn't see it that way until I started working in private practice. But now I've been doing it for a couple of years. I feel so much more confident that there are people out there who are desperate for your help. They have the money to pay for it. It's not going to bankrupt them. Um, but what might be really distressing for them is having to sit on a waiting list for a very long time. And it may be that your friend who is a local GP knows and meets those people, can pass on your details, and they can have a much better mental health experience than they would have had if they didn't get them. So ditch the shame. You're going to feel it. Just allow yourself to have it. But do what matters to you. Do what you know is right. And give all of those details to anybody in your network you know that might be able to pass referrals to you. It's well worth it. Other people to consider, depending on your um, area of specialism, are local physiotherapists, um, baby groups, schools, nurseries, anywhere that you know people who know, like and trust you already, who work with similar people to the people that you want to help can be a really good source of referrals. Don't be afraid of it. Now, the third one I wanted to mention is social media. There's so much to say on this. In brief, I find that social media is a great place for promoting messages about mental health and promoting low-cost workshops and events, but I don't think it's a great place for therapy referrals. Just think about where you would look for the kind of thing that you're offering. I think I'd Google search for a therapist, I don't think I'd look on Facebook. So I put my marketing effort for therapy clients into Google and SEO, and I use Facebook to promote low-cost items like ebooks, hypnobirthing workshops. Um, and that's what I found has been successful for me. As with anything, you kind of need to test it for yourself. But stuff like Facebook ads, they can be really expensive to test. So I just wanted to pass on my trial and error to you guys that I don't really think it's worth using Facebook and definitely not Facebook ads to advertise therapy services. That's just been the path that I've followed. So the next one that you need to consider is directory sites. There are loads of options if you're promoting therapy services via directory sites. 
So I personally find that I get the best quality referrals from Psychology Today. Uh, they also have never charged me for their service. Um, they keep extending the free trial period, which is amazing. And I hear that from lots of other people too. I'm sure they'll start charging at some point. But generally, I've had quite a steady stream of referrals from them. And they've all been people that actually do want to work with a clinical psychologist, understand the fees, and it's, it's generally gone quite smoothly. Findatherapist.com also provides me with lots of referrals, but they do take 20% of every session fee. So now I'm a bit busier. That's one that I'm cutting down on using um, because obviously that is pretty costly. Counselling directory works well for some people, uh, but I look really expensive on there. So I don't tend to get very much from them. I'd say Time With is a platform to watch, especially if you're an online therapist, as they're currently innovating a new search algorithm which should help those of us who work online to get found more easily. Because one thing I have found is that sites like Counseling Directory, findatherapist.com and Psychology Today really prioritise your location. So people only find me because they're searching for a psychologist in Plymouth. Therefore, a lot of those people are not that interested in online services. My online clients tend to come through my own website. Now, I would like more online work going forward. I think all of us in the current climate, we're doing all of our work online at the moment. And many of us will decide that that's something we want to continue with because it fits in so well with life, especially military life, like the life that I'm living. Um, so if that's you and you're thinking you want to find more online clients, at the moment, I haven't found a directory service that's brilliant for that. Um, but I do believe Time With are working on it. So that's one to watch. Another way to get clients is through insurance companies. So you can sign up to several at once through the health code system. And the big hitters seem to be AXA, PPP, Vitality and Booper. Um, but there are loads of others out there too. And it's worth signing up for them all when you first sign out, especially as it's really easy to do that through health code now. It's also worth being on health code because a lot of them only accept their invoices through health code. So if you sign up through health code, you can look at the terms and conditions on there too, and you can do your invoicing through it. Well worth doing. It is important to be aware though that they all have different caps on fees, which often change. They have different payment terms. Um, and they can have tricky things in their contracts, like AXA, for example, have an excess on a couple of my clients, which the client didn't seem to know about, and it meant that they just didn't pay my first couple of invoices, and then the client was expected to pay it, and they hadn't been expecting it. Really awkward. Uh, so make sure you read the contracts really carefully and factor in the impact of long payment terms on your cash flow. I also get a lot of referrals from Nuffield Health and they operate as an intermediary between insurance companies and clients um, in this area. So I'm in Plymouth at the moment um, and it's been well worth it for me for signing up with them because they pay monthly, they pay on time and basically I've had no dramas with them. Um, so I definitely recommend Nuffield Health if they're active in your area, but I know they're not everywhere. Another place that I have got some work, although I've kind of stopped taking referrals from them, is rehab companies. So if you do trauma work, then rehabilitation companies are often looking for psychologists to see clients who've been involved in an accident for CBT and EMDR, and it's paid for by insurance companies. 
So once you're on directory sites, you'll probably be contacted by some of them as they really need people with our title. Some of them, though, set shockingly low rates and they have appallingly long payment terms. So my advice if you're going to take that kind of work is to be very, very assertive with them and don't accept anything that undermines your worth as a professional. I've been offered rates as low as £35 an hour for working with them. The best I've ever got is 75 Um, So that's why I've, I've stopped doing that kind of work because... I don't think that they respect what we do as psychologists. They also often do really inappropriate things like demand a report within 12 hours of the final session, which if you've got any kind of a life or other clients can be really difficult to fit in. Generally, I've not had brilliant experiences. I'm sure other people have had some good ones um, and I'd actually love to hear about it if you have so I can update this information um, as we go. Another one to mention is solicitors. Now, if you can build relationships with local solicitors, they may send you the referrals that you get from rehab companies directly. They may also ask you to do medico-legal work if that's something that you offer. Now, if you like that kind of work, it can be a great source of referrals because solicitors pay much higher fees because there's no middleman and the budget is usually pretty generous. So don't make the mistake, if you're working with solicitors directly, of charging what you'd normally charge a self-pay client. I did that. They were really shocked. (laughs) Sent me quite a lot of work. Um, But eventually one of them had a bit of a word with me. It was like, you do realise all the other psychologists in the area are charging 25% more than you. (laughs) Um, I was very grateful for the honesty. Uh, But they do, solicitors generally expect to pay much more. And those kind of referrals are often very labour intensive. So it's worth finding out what your local colleagues are charging for solicitors and matching that. Another one that I've had uh, come my way a couple of times are employee assistance programmes. I don't touch those because the fees have always been really, really low. And as we'll go on um, to talk about a bit later in this episode, if you're not paid enough per hour, it can actually put you out of business if it's your sole income, or it can mean that you end up having to charge your self-pay clients more than you're comfortable with. So there's loads of reasons, um, ethical and practical, that I won't take work that pays really low. Um, So that's why I don't take EAP work. However, again, I'm sure there are good ones out there. Um, So do like research it for yourself, see what's in your area, but I just haven't found any good stuff that way. Now, for all of these referral sources, you need to look at the cost per client for each of them. So Facebook ads, Google ads, directory sites, they all cost money. It's important to list out how much each one will charge you per client and factor that into your running costs. Now I want to talk about how to market your psychology practice when you're offering services beyond therapy, which I really hope you all will be. So the first thing you've got to do before you start to market anything or spend any money or time creating anything is validate your idea. The fact is, if you tell your idea to me, I will probably think it's amazing because I'm another psychologist and we tend to have similar ideas and similar passions and things that we want to create in the world. But the thing is, if it's going to be part of your business, whether that's a for-profit business or a social enterprise, you actually have to know if people will pay it. Even if you're hoping for grant funding or for public funding, you need to know whether you're realistically going to make any money to sustain the project before you sink lots of your time, grant funds or your own funds into getting it off the ground. 
If you're setting up a therapy practice, you realistically know this from your competition. You can check out what people are charging and you can see uh, where they get their referrals from. Competition can be a really good thing because it tells you that there's a demand for that service. It's harder if you're doing something new or groundbreaking. You need to have a look for similar projects that have aimed to serve your ideal client group and see where they succeeded and where they could have improved. And then you'll need to test it. So if you're trying to set something up that isn't going to be paid for by the service user, it's going to be paid for by maybe a commissioning group, you need to see what similar stuff they've commissioned in the past because that is your best indicator of whether they're likely to commission anything remotely similar to what you're putting forward. So if you can get the ear of somebody in the know for that commissioning group, that is going to give you your best indicator. If you are trying to bring something to market that you want the actual service user to pay for, then I really recommend using something really simple like lead pages, piece of software, to create a landing page to get people to sign up to a mailing list if they're interested in your idea. Better still, you could use a platform like Crowdfunder to see if people will actually part with money for it. The problem is people will be really polite and say that they like your idea. So if you do something, and I've done this, you know, these are all mistakes that I've made. But if you do something like set up focus groups, get people around to your house, even if they're people you don't know to chat about your idea, they will probably just tell you it's great. People, especially if you are nice and you come across like well-intentioned, people don't want to rain on your parade. So they'll just tell you it's a great idea. You could set up a Facebook group and you could invite people to join it if they're interested in your topic. Um, I always think it's safest to set up something that you own because while at the moment Facebook loves groups, it could decide it doesn't want to do them anymore and you could lose a Facebook group. It's a lot harder to lose something like a mailing list that you actually own. So I do think if you can possibly set up something like a lead page where get where people will give you their email address if they're interested in your idea or get people to actually pay you to keep going and innovating your idea, that's probably the best way of doing it. I would also, alongside that, however, have a Facebook group where you can test out ideas and, and get people talking. You've probably noticed if you're in my Facebook group, the Do Modern Therapy community, that I virtually never make a business decision without asking my Facebook followers what they think. I do that for a couple of reasons. Firstly, because working on my own is really difficult and I find it impossible to make any decisions without getting input from other people. But also because it helps people to invest in your idea psychologically. It helps them to feel like they're part of what you're doing, like they're part of a movement. And for most stuff that we're trying to put out there, that's really important. You want people to feel like they're empowered and part of your mission to enhance mental health or whatever you're doing because we like to co-create stuff don't we so I think the idea of having some kind of a platform where you can talk directly to the people that you want to help is really important for loads of different reasons. So when you're thinking about marketing your psychology practice whether that is by um, social media or other types of marketing it's totally normal to feel a little bit gross about it but the fact is you really 
have to get over that. You've got to be loud. You've got to do something like social media marketing, paid and organic. You've got to do the Google stuff that's going to get your website found. You've got to pitch yourself in the local and the national press. Those are all the options that are available to you to raise your visibility and get people to actually hear your message. And it's only by doing that that the people that need you the most will even hear about you. But it's understandable to have some anxiety about it. So I have personally found it quite reassuring to read the BPS and HCPC policies on marketing and advertising. They're nothing to be afraid of. If you're generally an ethical practitioner, you'll be doing it all anyway. You know, you don't want to make bold claims. Don't make people feel ashamed. And don't comment on individuals or anything beyond your competence. You wouldn't do that anyway. But my approach with social media is just to imagine that I'm talking to a client when I write anything. I never post anything I wouldn't say to a client. And so I'm not too worried about the ethical side of things. But if you're worried about it, just read the advice, you will feel better. And then, you know, feel the uncomfortable feelings and do what you need to do anyway. Another quick note while we're on marketing is about competition. So when I told my husband that I was setting up the Do Modern Therapy community and the Business of Psychology podcast, he looked really confused and said, but aren't you just helping your competition to beat you? He did not get it. My personal opinion is that there really isn't any competition in our space. There could be a hundred clinical psychologists in your town, all in private practice, and I don't think we would meet the demand. That is bloody depressing, but I think it's true. My experience is there is more than enough need to go around. And I really, I set up the Do More Than Therapy community because I firmly believe that if we all collaborate, we can achieve far more than we can if we're just treating mental health problems on our own. Check out what other people are offering and what they're charging in your area. That gives you an idea of whether your fees are realistic for the location. Make a note of their websites, see what you love about what they do and what you might do differently. Then reach out to them, talk, have coffees, make friends. You'll even find you pass each other referrals all the time help each other out of tight spots, and you might even get together to do something amazing. I have a couple of local psychologist friends who always inspire me whenever we talk. I come away with awesome ideas for my practice, and I generally feel so much more settled and comfortable in my work. So now you've figured out how you're going to get money into your psychology private practice, you now have to think about how much money you need. And there are a few hard but essential questions you have to ask yourself. So many of us, me completely included in this, go into private practice feeling really guilty that we're charging anything at all. I was totally consumed by this guilt when I first started working privately. I believe that everyone should be able to access therapy for free. And politically, I'm pretty well against profiting from the despair of others. But I have learned the very, very hard way that if you don't do your numbers properly, you'll end up stressed, burned out and resentful and you just can't help anybody in that state. So in the early days, I had months where despite being fully booked, I only just earned enough to cover childcare. This is part of the reason I think we all need to do more than therapy in our practices. If all you offer is therapy, you do need to charge a lot for it to get yourself a decent wage, especially if you work with complex cases that need thinking and reflection time. 
And that's kind of all cases, in my opinion. So you just can't see people back to back all day, every day. So the first difficult question you have to ask yourself is how much money do I need to take home each month to survive? Work out what you realistically need to live the life you want to live. Don't think you'll be okay on minimum wage if realistically that is going to leave you stressed and miserable. For me, this was fairly easy. I knew we were okay on my NHS salary. So I aimed for that plus £200 for a private pension to start with. The second difficult question is how much money do I need to take home to have the lifestyle I want? Now think honestly about what you want for your family. Our work is really hard and if you don't feel rewarded for it, you will become resentful. This is good for nobody, so don't lie to yourself. Come up with an ideal salary per month that you would like to make. Now you need to think about your services. What are you going to offer? I've learned the hard way, as I've said, that you definitely need something in this box that is not a one-to-one service like therapy or consultancy, as you'll burn out really quickly if all of your income comes from that one place and you can never take a sick day. It's the opposite of the flexibility that many of us need. So think creatively. Could you offer workshops or group courses? Could you do some writing, offer an online course? Many of these things will take around a year to make profitable, especially if it's an online option but you need to start with them in mind so that you make the time to make them a reality. So now you've figured out what you're going to offer and what you're likely to be spending on running costs, you can work out what you need to charge. So, A, how much money do you need to bring in to cover your salary, expenses and tax man? B, how many hours are you planning on working? And by that, I mean working in total. So all the time that you're going to spend on paperwork, all the time that you're going to spend on marketing, all the time that you're going to spend sweating over your accounts, all of that time. How many hours per week are you planning on working? C, how many of those hours can be billable slash money-making hours where people actually give you money for that work? Now divide A by C. For example, if I know that to give me the salary I want, put aside 25% for tax and cover my overheads, I need to make £6,000 a month. And I know that I have 20 money-making hours in a week. In a solely therapy practice, that could look like four clients a day over a five-day week. That would mean I need to earn at least £75 an hour to cover my expenses. Once you know this rate, you have to be hard about it. Any work you do for less than that is not sustainable. Of course, you can do work at a lower rate if you happen to have an insurance company or solicitor paying higher rates for some of your hours. It's important to be realistic and consider here how many people you're comfortable with seeing back to back and how easily you'll be able to fill groups and sell products in the early days. You might feel icky about it. In fact, you probably will, but you shouldn't. We're very good at empathising with the fact our clients who are struggling financially often suffer from the stress that brings. What makes us think that we're some kind of superhero that's immune to that? We can't do good work if we're stressed about money, so you have a responsibility to look after yourself in this area. 
you might be surprised at how high your fee has to be to achieve comfort and stability. So if you were one of the people that downloaded the Psychologist Business Plan during the crowdfunder, or you can still get it actually at drrosie.co.uk, you'll see that at the end of this section of the business plan, I get you to make a financial commitment. I get you to write out a statement that literally says, I, Rosie Gilderthorpe, commit to looking after myself so I can best serve others and my family. My minimum hourly rate is X. And I will never work for less than this unless I've earned enough elsewhere to compensate for it. Now, that might sound really cheesy. It might make your skin crawl to even think about writing something out like that. But I promise you, I came up with that statement when I was in the darkest place with my practice. I actually had a month where, because I'd taken a lot of work from rehabilitation companies who really slow to pay and I wasn't charging what I needed to charge for my self-pay clients ended up in a position where I had to put my family into debt in order to pay for childcare. so that means that I worked for less than eight pounds an hour overall and that only happened once and it was a combination of bad luck and irresponsible Uh, rehabilitation companies and not charging my worth but it's something that my family cannot afford to allow to happen and I'm sure many of you listening to this are in a similar situation where you're not working for fun you're working because your family needs the income and in order to make it okay that I spend time away from my kids I have to feel like I'm at least providing them with a reasonable quality of life and that month I felt like I just wasn't living that part of my values and that is what I have recorded this podcast and created the psychologist business plan to try and help you to avoid. I never want any of you to go through that because it was a very very tough place to be Um, and we don't need to go there, we've got skills, we've got expertise and we shouldn't be ashamed about charging for that. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of the Business of Psychology podcast. If you share my passion for doing more than therapy, then make sure you come over and join my free Do More Than Therapy Facebook community, where you can work on getting your big ideas off the ground with like-minded psychologists and therapists. I'd also love it if you could leave this show a five-star review wherever you listen to your podcasts. It will help more of the people who need it to find it. See you next week for more tips and inspirational stories to help you do more than therapy.